Welcome to Consulting Mastery, where we help B2B consultants master the business of consulting. I'm Carrie, And I'm Ahmed. Join us as we explore the art of delivering outstanding client value, earning a higher income, and thriving in today's marketplace. I find a lot of new-ish consultants get really tripped up when they have their first unsatisfied client. And it spirals and triggers a whole slew of emotions. Among them, I'm a hack. I don't know what I'm doing. This thing is a scam. No one should trust me with their money. I should just go get a job. Fastest way to an existential crisis that I think most consultants go through. Why does this happen? Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I, well, there are several paths I want to go down here, but I think there is such a link or people create such a link between their personal identity and the service they provide that somebody being unhappy with something feels like they are, you know, rejecting you as a human, right? You as the tiny baby that was born however many years ago and has, you know, worked your way through this life and now suddenly this person has found you out, right? They're the one who has determined that you're not worthy of, of being out in the world delivering this solution or service. And it's really, really interesting because the, the way I see it, the inability of a lot of people to um, most of us at some point or another to separate the work from the human has a ton of benefit, right? That's the thing. That's, that's what has you showing how much you care about your clients. It has you kind of, you know, going the extra mile and, and really stepping up and doing what needs to be done. Also, punch in the gut when things don't go perfectly well. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the the kind of quintessential challenge of being a consultant is the offer and the service is tied to who you are as a person. Like you, you are the offer, right? You are the service. You are the delivery mechanism. You're the one fulfilling on the promise. And that's a lot harder than if you're selling a widget. You know, if I sold the uh, pens, you know, oh, for example, I have a pen in front of me. Well, if I'm selling pens and people don't like the pens, I can fix the pens, right? If the thing doesn't click properly or the clip breaks too easily, as mine clearly is broken, right? Okay, well, I, I don't, I don't take that or interpret that or read that as a personal attack or an affront on me and my capability. And I can contact my pen manufacturer and say, "Hey, customers are complaining." that this thing doesn't work or this thing breaks, can you fix it? It's on them, really. It's not on me, right? But in consulting or any kind of advisory business, when things go off the rails, I don't just mean in dramatic ways. I don't just mean like really unhappy clients, but I mean even just mildly unsatisfied clients or clients that are kind of, you know, low-key complaining or grimacing about something. Or clients who are not getting the results that they want to get for perhaps reasons that are not your fault, there's this really strong tendency, and I think it's human nature, to blame yourself and to take an unreasonable amount of ownership for the situation 
on yourself. And then that's a really slippery slope, right? Because it's hard to compartmentalize those experiences. So if I'm talking to, if you carry, if you're a client of mine and you go, you know, Ahmed, you suck and never should have worked with you. And this has been a gigantic mistake, right? I mean, A, rude, <laughs> would you say that to somebody, right? But let's say you did when you were a rude person, right? And then I get on my next client call, like, how is that not going to affect me? How is that not going to show up on that call or get on a sales call? How is that not going to affect my confidence, right? So it's very hard to, I think, compartmentalize these things and, and, and not attribute the, the failure to yourself when you're a consultant or an advisor or a service provider of some sort and delivering the, uh, the promise. It's really all about finding objectivity because the reality is in some cases, you may need to attribute the failure to yourself, right? Like this may be a way of learning that something you are doing, something you're trying, something you, you know, you put out in the world isn't working the way that you would want it to. And, you know, if we're at that end of the continuum and that's the case, then the goal there is to objectively be able to see that, to separate the thing you did from you, right? I'm not a bad person. This just isn't working the way that I expected or wanted wanted it to. And then use that information to make adjustments. And then you work all the way to the other other end of the scale where a client is, you know, frustrated or upset or annoyed because they're not getting what they they feel that they deserve or what they want. And maybe it's something that you don't have any control over. Maybe it's them, right? Maybe it's uh, just a mismatch of what they were expecting and, and what you're providing. And so the real thing is to be able to step back, and, and this is you know much easier said than done, to be able to step back and objectively analyze what happened and then figure out how to react. The challenge as humans is we react first, right? And we can be several days into the spiral before we um, are able to take a breath and determine what actually happened and what makes sense in terms of how to resolve it. Well, we did a whole episode on this and I'm searching for the title of it. It says consultant live and die by this. And the description says, if you haven't heard this one, I'd go back and listen to it. It's very related. The description is consultants live and die by their results, but how do you own the results when you're not fully in control of your client? How do you improve your odds of great results, etc.? And so this really speaks to that kind of dilemma, right? Where, you know, you don't fully control the results of the outcomes as the consultant. You are still the external consultant, service provider, advisor, hired gun. You don't run the client's organization. You're not the CEO. Uh, even if you're doing some kind of a done-for-you engagement, you're going to rely on inputs and contributions from the client to a certain extent, right? So you can't argue in any context that you have full control over the results and outcomes. At the same time, the clients are hiring you because they want results and outcomes, right? So there's this dilemma. And I think a lot of the problems begin in the sales conversation and the expectation setting that happens in the sales conversation. Right. So there's this, there's this tendency to just make a lot of promises in the sales conversation and, and not really bring up anything that might cause the client or the prospect to pause or to ask questions or to, to doubt anything. Right. Cause you know, what kills sales FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So don't instill fear. Don't bring up uncertainty. Don't bring up doubt. 
But often that results in major conflict and delivery because you were expecting the client to fulfill a role, to contribute something, to have a certain input into the process. And when they don't do it or they do it haphazardly or ineffectively, it impacts the results of the project and then they blame you. So I think a big part of this is being very clear up front. And you will, by the way, you will, you will create a ton of trust and goodwill by doing this. Right? To say to the client, listen, we all have the same goal here. We want to get these results. And to get these results, here's what we're going to do. But for us to do these things, here's what you have to do. Here's what you own. Here's your contribution. And if these contributions aren't made effectively, on time, at a certain level of quality, whatever the considerations might be, then that throws the entire project at, into, you know, into jeopardy at risk, right? Now, it's hard for them. First of all, I think they trust you more now because you're not trying to close a deal. You're trying to be very clear about what, to, what it's going to take to win the, to, to, to get the results. But then when something does happen, when things do go off the rails, now you have a partner at the table. And I think that's the healthiest way to look at these relationships is their partnerships who all understand what their contribution was. And you can have an intelligent conversation about why that contribution missed the mark. Yeah. And as we're talking about the sales conversation, there's also a point to be made just about client consultant fit. And we had a conversation about this in a, with some clients recently and one of the things that popped out as we talked to this person that we were working with who was really struggling with the fact that they had, you know, their first client after many who was less than excited. And we got to a place where in retrospect, they realized that this just might not have been the right client to be working with as well. And so when we talk about gathering information out of these experiences, that's another piece of information, especially early on, right? You're going to cast a wider net than you probably will when you're more experienced, when you have you know, more clients under your belt, when you really narrow down and niche down in terms of, of who it is that you're serving and what you're doing for them. But the other reality is that you just may end up in partnership, to your point, with someone who is, you know, not a terrible client or a bad person, but not the right fit for you. And so also being able to figure out if that's the case makes a difference. Doesn't mean that you don't resolve it. Doesn't mean that you, you know, you fire them, move on necessarily. But understanding that also can tell you if this is something that you should be using as an indicator or if it's an edge case that you know, having learned from it, you can avoid in the future. Well, and I think also let's just do away with the expectation that every single client engagement is going to be a home run. And that doesn't mean that they're going to be a disaster either, right? But, you know, just let's look at some of our numbers if we want to be open and transparent. I think we've graduated, you know, I don't have the official number, but it's somewhere between eight and 900 consultants and firms in the past five years. And we have somewhere between 150 to 200 published case studies and testimonials. That sounds about right. Like, you know, it's about probably a 30%, give or take, right? Like somewhere between 25 and 35% of our clients have become published case studies and testimonials. Now that doesn't mean the other 
you know, 65 to 75% hate our guts. Like a lot of those were great engagements and great experiences for everybody involved. But for whatever reason, we didn't capture a case study or a testimonial. And there's a small percentage of those that didn't go as well as we wanted them to. Right? But the point is there, you know, we don't have a hundred percent case study rate. It's not practically not going to happen for all kinds of reasons. And I think the, the nature of the beast is results are actually outside of everyone's control. They're outside of your control as a consultant and they're outside of the client's control because there's so many uncontrollable factors and unmitigable, unmitigable. Does that even, is that a word? Uh, Non-mitigatable, okay? I'm making up words, right? Risks you cannot mitigate, okay? And if that's a word, I'm impressed that I knew it. That you simply can't do anything about, right? And that's kind of the grown-up conversation with the client is, yeah, we want these results, but here are the risks. And there's some risks that we can mitigate, and here's how we'll do them. And there's some risks that we can't because nothing's 100%. Yeah, and along the timeline of an engagement, it's also important to recognize that things don't run on a straight line. So we know, for example, there are a couple of key points in the time that clients work with us where they are more likely to be frustrated, unhappy, afraid, you know, aggravated, whatever the case may be. And it isn't that necessarily, or it isn't that they're not getting what they came for. It's not that things aren't going, you know, sort of objectively well if we were looking at it. But there are certain times, and like, let's use us as an example first, and then we can zoom out, where the client in this case has to do something really difficult, right? Has to really dig in, has to, you know, face up to something that maybe they don't like, has to put themselves out there in a way that they haven't before. And those moments are the ones where we find we can, we can almost predict the pattern, right? That's when they're going to be less happy for a minute until we support them and help them through that. And so I think where I'm going here is that it's also often not the case that a client being frustrated or upset or, you know, seemingly unhappy in some way is a real problem. Sometimes it's part of the process. Sometimes it is necessary. Sometimes people who are, you know, afraid or confronted <laughs> are going to lash out and find the thing closest to them. And that's where they're going to transfer the, you know, quote unquote blame. And so there's a theme here that we're talking about kind of all the way along, which is, is just normalizing the fact that these difficulties will happen. And at first, you may not experience that. At first, you may just get you know, it's going to be sunshine and rainbows every time you talk to your new clients because you've only dealt with a couple of people and, you know, you're running full speed and you're, you're kind of doing everything for them and they're super excited. But eventually it's important to recognize that that friction is going to exist, right? It's especially going to exist if you are trying to push people beyond where they currently are, which is kind of the whole point. Um, you know, it's going to exist if you're trying things that are new. And so if there's one lesson out of all of this conversation, it's really about normalizing that you're going to go through these situations and then figuring out what they really truly mean without going into the, you know, the death spiral of, um, of uh, you know, taking it entirely personally and deciding that you need to pack it in. 
So here's something interesting. What does client mean? What is a client? Okay. So there's your basic definition that we all know, but what's the origin of the word? The origin of the word client is a Latin word, stem of clients, which is a person seeking the protection or influence of someone powerful. So there's this element to the word client where the client is somebody who is seeking your protection. They're under your care. You're there to take care of them. And uh, I first heard Jay Abraham talk about this and, and his perspective on this is you need to view your client relationships from this lens. You're, you're not there to provide a service. You're there to take care of them, take them under your protection. And I think the emotional journey that clients go through is such an interesting conversation because how many consultants are considering that emotional journey and building in mechanisms that will help facilitate that journey and minimize um, some of the risks of them falling off the, you know, the emotional roller coaster. You know, it, it's not just we do this thing and we have these deliverables. If that's the extent of how you see your relationships, your client relationships, we do this work, we deliver the service, there are these deliverables. And, you know, beyond that, the logistics and the tactics, you know, you're on your own. That's a very narrow view of the relationship, one that's very transactional, one that's not going to yield very good results, frankly, one that's not going to yield a lot of repeat business, one that's not going to yield a lot of referrals, and one that's not going to be ultimately very profitable for your business. But if you truly view your clients as people that are under your care, they're under your protection, your, your job is to take good care of them, both by delivering the service and fulfilling your, your promise contractually, but also by managing their emotions and their emotional journey and helping optimize that to yield the outcomes you're looking for, I think you get better results. I think you get more repeat business. I think you get more referrals. I think your business is more profitable. Well, and what is required for you to be able to look after your client's emotional journey is for you to be able to manage your own emotional journey. And what tends to happen in these scenarios is we become very self-focused again, right? Something went wrong. Oh my God, it's about me. What about me? What can I do? What did I do? You know, how can I fix it? How do I change my life to make sure this never happens again? And as in most things in the world, when you're trying to move past something, focusing on somebody else is a great strategy, right? So, I mean, maybe that's the hack. Maybe that's the shortcut is when this happens. The question is, how do I support my client through this, right? What does it mean to them? as opposed to going down the path of it's all about me. What does it mean to me? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, again, a lot of this comes back down to how the relationship is framed to begin with. You know, we talk about this concept in our program uh, of power positioning. What is power positioning? It is about taking back power from the client. Right? Clients have power when they see you as one of many interchangeable options that they can choose from. And they're generally going to choose the one that's going to be the cheapest if everything looks the same. And that's not good for you because it means you're going to compete on price and you're going to be completely susceptible to the client's decision to choose who they want to work with. And you're going to ultimately compete in a race to the bottom. What you want to do is take back the power 
kind of flip the script, right? And differentiate yourself as the best choice, the only viable choice in your market so that clients see you as the very best option and everybody else as some kind of a compromise. Now you have the power, but that power will carry forward in the relationship because now that the client respects you and sees you as the only option, that when things go off the rails or there's a challenge or there's an issue, they're not going to be quick to blame you. They'll be quick to seek your advice. It's the difference between this happened. Why are these results like this? What's going on? What are you doing to fix it? And hey, what do you think is going on here? Where do we need to write, write the ship? What are you seeing that we could adjust to get this project back on track? What's your take on this? And a lot of that dynamic is set in the sales conversation. Yeah, well, a lot of that dynamic set in the marketing, frankly, and continues through the sales conversation and through to the delivery process. Yeah, agreed. The one thing I would say, though, I think power is a tricky word here because what we're not talking about, I don't think what you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, we're not talking about taking power away from them so that you have more, right? What we're talking about is getting to a place where really you're both on the same side of the problem, right? Where you see each other as integral to this solution in you know whatever agreed upon manner that might exist and that to me it, it, there's there's something there and this goes back to maybe the conversation about what the really how the relationship is framed right partnership or you being there to protect and, and take care of in some ways the client but it's really about putting you and the client in the best possible position to be able to solve the problem. To me, that's how I think about power, but I'm curious what you meant when you said it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the thing is that so many consulting relationships are um, predicated on the client having all the power and the client believes that that's the case and the consultant believes that that's the case. So therefore the consultant does and says whatever they need to say to win the deal and you know negotiates price and negotiates terms and essentially bends to the client's will to negotiate the deal. And now the client knows they can walk all over you. And then they will. <laughs> they will, right? First sign of trouble, it's your fault. You screwed up. You need to fix it. Yada, yada, yada. And this happens, and don't feel bad. This happens to solo consultants. This happens to massive consulting firms have the same problem, right? And I think the, the goal ought to be not that you're stealing power away from the client and, and therefore, you know, abusing them, <laughs> but the goal ought to be to take back some of that power to level the playing field so that now you can truly operate as partners because I've seen this a million times. The best consulting engagements, the ones that are the most successful are the ones where everybody has a vested interest in the result. Everybody is committed to the result and you're operating truly like partners. Although money's changing hands one way, the the kind of the operational dynamic of the relationship is it feels like a partnership. That's where you get the best results, but you need a certain balance of power in order for that dynamic to be effective. Yeah. Agreed. So if we circle back to, to where we started, <laughs> what is the path to getting past over through your first unhappy client? I don't know. I feel like you have a better answer. Do I? Let me take a stab at it. I would say that like anything in life, it's about 
getting through the emotion as quickly as you can to a place where you can take a bit more of a scientific view, right? Where you can really understand what it is that happened and is happening. It's about recognizing that this is part of the game, part of the process. And it is about making sure that you learn what you need to learn, that you take away from the experience what you need to take away, and that you set the rest aside so that you can continue on and serve the folks you want to serve.